The Israeli military have continued to block off access to some of the sites of the worst atrocities committed by Hamas militants. Um, we were, however, able to gain access to one kibbutz, one small community that came under attack and walking around, it was clear that the residents stood no chance against the gunmen. Uh, you know, the latest report suggests that a total of around one and a half thousand Hamas militants infiltrated from the Gaza Strip into Israel. And some reports suggest that some of the victims may have been decapitated, beheaded. But really, such a horrific level of violence was used. The bodies of so many of the victims are in such a bad condition that it's hard to know if it's true or not. What is clear is that men, women and children were ruthlessly and mercilessly killed. A warning that some of the images in our report are distressing. We're asking you, let the team work. Guys, let the team work. They're still finding dead bodies here. We're in a small, tight-knit community, torn apart by horrific violence. Have a duty machine gun against the, the shoot people with those. The inhabitants of Kafar Aza have either fled, been taken hostage or murdered. Festive decorations put up shortly before the attack still hang from homes. The Israeli military have brought us here as they finish sweeping the area. Amongst the debris, unexploded grenades. Walking through here, seeing what's left of people's homes, people's lives, you get a sense of just how terrifying it must have been for the residents when the gunmen launched their assault. Some of the bodies of the militants are still here. There's a strong smell of death in the air. Israel has been left traumatized by just how deadly this rampage was. Down, down, down. Stay together, guys. And there's still the threat from rockets fired from Gaza. The focus now, the awful task of retrieving and identifying bodies. This salvage team has just arrived here from the site of the massacre at a music festival. Some of them try to hide and we see them in a position like defending position. And this is pretty much, you ask me about what I saw, the, the smell there, the, the thinking about what they uh, had in their few seconds of life, the last one, uh, about the fright, about the heart that they went through. Teachers Shlomi and Shah are just two of the hundreds upon hundreds of victims murdered in their homes. They believed in peace between the communities and sent their daughter Shir to a school with Jewish, Muslim and Christian children. She spent hours terrified and alone in a safe room whilst the attack took place. I couldn't um, turn on the lights. Will they hear me? Will they know I'm home? As we talk, warning sirens blare. As long as you're in Israel, you're a threat. There have been barrages of rockets throughout the day. We're in a hospital where Shear's teenage brother is undergoing surgery. 
he was with her parents when they died. We talked to our brother and we asked him what happened. I told him, I need to know. He said that um, as soon as the red alerts started, they ran into the safe room and uh, they heard at some point glass breaking and then uh, they heard people walking in their house and they heard them outside of the safe room speaking in Arabic and my dad said he put a mattress in front of the door and my mom told my brother to hide between the bed and the wall and and then there was a big explosion and um, my brother said he, he heard my dad saying that he lost his arm and they started chewing everywhere and my mom died on him. She died protecting him and she told him everything will be all right. And he was alone for so many hours and he was wounded and nobody could help him. This country is still trying to process what's happened. No one thought anything like it was possible under the watch of Israel's powerful military and intelligence services. What happened here is obviously so, so horrific, but speaking to relatives of the victims, there's also a lot of anger at how long it took Israeli forces to respond, why more wasn't done to prevent the militants getting here in the first place. I feel angry, everybody in the army feels angry from top down, and we know that we're going to do the deepest, deepest analysis of how this happens, this never can happen again. What went wrong? You know, I think it's going to take us weeks and months to really figure that out, and we're going to do it, because these are our people. Heavy artillery now faces off towards the Gaza Strip. Israel is vowing to eliminate the threat from Hamas, and the country seems united behind that but the coming days are likely to see more lives lost. Well, today there have been further clashes between, or sporadic clashes at least, between Hamas militants and Israeli soldiers. There's also been a barrage of rocket fire coming out from the Gaza Strip, particularly targeting the southern city of Ashkelon. These rockets, though, compared to the the kind of massacres that we've seen over the over the past over the weekend, well, they don't cause anywhere near that level of of, uh, of death and destruction. Where possible, I've been trying to speak to some of the Israelis here about whether they think there is a military solution to this conflict. History would suggest there isn't, but at the moment, amongst both sides, there seems as little appetite for talk of peace. Thank you, Sikanda, for that powerful report. Sikanda Kamani there reporting along with Millicent Teasdale, Al Thompson and Ariel Tagar. Now, we cannot get inside the Gaza Strip. Uh, of course, as you know, the Gaza Strip, uh, which has been sealed off by the Israeli military and its residents, around 2.3 million Palestinians are feeling the full force of their neighbours' wrath. We cannot get inside, but we have been able to get uh, our colleague, filmmaker Yusuf Hamash, who lives in the Gaza Strip, to compile this eyewitness report. And once again, a warning. It is distressing from the very start. You can't hear yourself think. It's not just the noise of the sirens and the strikes. 
the sound of the chaos in between is just relentless. Pure panic everywhere you look. This little boy was pulled out alive, his face blackened. His rescuer rushes to his mother. But before she can embrace her boy, she passes out in a shock. Any car becomes an ambulance. This woman is driving off before the boot can be shot. We've been told to get out, but where do we go? And how do we get there? There are more than two million people living here. Almost half are children. Families are rushing, trying to make plans. Every second matters. Gaza is under a complete siege. No water, no food, no electricity, and no escape. It's too hard. Some almost give up. But you can't stand still for long. Please, my family, they're just kids. We are not strangers to war but how it feels this time. It's hard to find the walls. It feels like the world is collapsing. Many are confirmed dead, even more are missing. This woman cannot find her son. I haven't heard from him since Saturday. I haven't heard anything from him, nothing. Here is the family, they're gathering all together, also in a place far away from the window. I was trying to explain things, but I think you can hear them now. I'm walking right now close to my home, close to my building, but I swear I couldn't recognize the streets. I'm also afraid walking because any minute anything may explode. This afternoon I met Plestia on the street close to where her home once was. Now it's not even safe to walk. Like as you can see here, this building caught a fire as well other than the bombardments that happened. So it's not safe, nothing is safe, literally. Now nothing is recognizable. This is an ambulance. She's afraid of what's happening now and what might happen next. Yusuf Hamash with that report. Well, the Gazan Health Ministry says that 830 Palestinians have already been killed in the bombardment, while the UN Human Rights Chief said that Israeli strikes had hit residential buildings and schools. Our foreign affairs correspondent, Porak O'Brien, has been examining the situation inside Gaza and his report, too, contains distressing images from the very outset. If you live in Gaza, the only thing worse than experiencing last night's bombardment, the prospect of worse to come.
Retribution in the ruins of localities like Ramal and Khan Yunus. The names of neighborhoods that will map out Israel's reaction to Saturday's attack. This is the geography of retaliation, an earthquake of airstrikes across the Gaza Strip, likely to continue for days. The Israelis say they are warning people to evacuate buildings in advance of strikes, a courtesy not afforded those murdered on Saturday. Abu Muhammad Hasuna says a neighbor, who was not at home at the time, received a warning call from the Israeli Defence Forces and started running towards the building with the IDF caller still on the line. According to Abu Muhammad, the caller said they had five to ten minutes. People started running. I was sheltering in an alley with my brother and his children. Suddenly, we heard the explosion. My brother's children were standing in a doorway. They became martyrs. The two children were killed in the blast last night, according to their uncle. In a statement, the Israeli Defence Forces said they targeted this particular neighbourhood, Ramal, because it, quote, serves as a hub for the Hamas terrorist group from which many of the attacks against Israel were launched, they said. Together with the West Bank, Gaza makes up the Palestinian territories. It takes about an hour to drive from top to bottom. It's only 25 miles long. But it's home to 2.3 million people. And evacuating high-rise buildings, for example, getting people out into the cramped warren of streets below, means that even with warnings, hundreds of civilians will die in the days to come. Nearly all the largest neighbourhoods have been hit. Rafa and Khan Yunus in the south, Beth Hanan and the Shati and Jabalia refugee camps. But it's the Ramal district in Gaza City itself, which is in the process of being wiped off the map. These women epitomise the deadly bind that many Gazans are now in. Samu Abu Latifa's family fled a different neighbourhood to Khan Yunus in the south, as advised. But it was also bombed overnight. Her brother and two family members were killed. We were told to come here, she says, but all we found was death. If we stay in our homes, we die, she says. If we go out onto the street, we die. The world is closing in on these women with no realistic prospect of escape. After Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip in 2007, Israel imposed a blockade. Residents aren't allowed leave without the proper permits. Right now, no one is getting in or out of Gaza via the two crossings into Israel. Then there's the Rafah crossing into Egypt. This was Rafah today. It was also attacked. The Egyptians blamed Israel. The upshot, that crossing, is now also shut. In other words, Gazan civilians have no way out. And into this pressure cooker, the prospect of a possible ground offensive, Israeli troops gathering on the border. The Gaza Strip is often described as an open-air prison. Now even its walls are closing in. 
Well, earlier I spoke to British-Palestinian Dr. Rassan Abusita, who's currently working at the Shifa Hospital in Gaza. I asked him what he and his colleagues were up against. Grounds of Shifa Hospital have turned into a refugee camp. People have sought refuge. The hospital itself, even though this is day three, is already at capacity. Uh, uh, all of the beds have been used up. There's over, over 1,600 wounded in just the last three days in Gaza. Um, we are already facing difficulties uh, getting patients to the operating rooms in time because there's so much pressure on the operating rooms that only the most critical and life-saving patients are uh, going to the operating room. So what are the supplies that you really need and that you don't have at the moment in order to do your work? So uh, uh, we, we were tending to a, a teenage girl. She must have been, what, 12, 13, with 70% of her body burned uh, in the intensive care unit. And, and with these kinds of burns, you need to make sure that the, the, the patient is scrubbed with antiseptic solution to ensure that they do not uh, get infected because that's the cause of death in these uh, burns. Um, and there was no chlorhexidine, there was no antiseptic solution around, and we ended up just using regular soap to clean the burns so that we can properly mm. dress the patient. This is only day three. If this this bad so early on, the worry is that the system is going to collapse within a couple of days. Well, indeed, as uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said last night, this is just the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. The, this, the sense of, of, of impending doom that, that people have when we talk to them, that, you know, especially after last night, what's devastating is when you work in a place like Shifa Hospital, your colleagues, some of them have had their homes destroyed, some of them have had to relocate their, their families while they're coming in to serve the wounded. And are you losing patients on the operating table because of the lack of supplies? Patient treatment is being delayed and critical time is being lost on treating these severely injured patients. Um, and the worry is as this gets worse, previously treatable injuries become either untreatable or that the uh, residual disability that they leave becomes permanent because you haven't been able to take these uh, uh, wounds to the operating room to deal with them properly. And are most of the patients you're receiving in the hospital, are they civilians? The overwhelming, which, I mean, I've not seen any young men of, of, of fighting age. One of the most heart-wrenching things is that you get whole families, you get whole families that are injured. And so the parents and the children are wounded and are in different rooms in the hospital. Uh, the kids in the pediatric areas and the parents are in different wards. You know, whole families are being brought in from these damaged, uh, devastated houses. These kids are being wounded in their home. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Dr. Rasan Abusita, thank you very much indeed. Well, just before we came on air, I spoke to Osama Hamdan. He is a spokesman based in Beirut for Hamas, which, of course, is designated a terrorist organization by the UK government. I asked him how he could justify the killing of so many Israeli civilians. Well, uh, I, I, I want to tell you something, some good story. There is an occupation for the Palestinian lands 
from 1948 for seven decades and more than this, Palestine was occupied. And you just realized yesterday that there is someone is killing the Palestinians. The Palestinians, they were being killed for the last seven decades by the Israelis. Excuse me, How sir, does that history justify the killing of innocent children? I, I, How does it justify you, you taking old women and men me. hostage? This is, this is your problem, guys. You don't like to listen. You don't want to listen to the Palestinians. You just want to talk about the Israelis. That is not true. I was in the Gaza Strip. I was in the Gaza Strip no, 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 two no. years ago no, no, when no. you were being bombed by the Israelis. I'm asking you now okay. about Saturday's attack, how you can justify, no one, how you can justify the kidnapping no of innocent no men, women and children, the killing, the massacre of innocent men, women and children. Look, how can look, you justify that? Well, look, you are asking the wrong question. I'm telling you, you are still asking the wrong question. There is thousands of Palestinians who have been killed and no one is listening to their cause. No one is talking about the right of the Palestinians to have their independent sovereign state. Why the resistance is the cause? You have to blame the international community who did not make the needed pressure on Israel to apply the international okay. resolutions. If it weren't for your actions, if it weren't for your actions on Saturday, the Israeli army would now not be bombing the Gaza Strip. No, that means no, no, that no, no, no. Hundreds of innocent Ex Palestinians who are dying today no. in the Gaza Strip look. would not be dying. This is on you, sir. This look. is on you. No. No, this is on your hands, the British government who created Israel on our lands. This is the fact which you don't want to listen to. You create Israel on the Palestinian lands by Belfort Declaration 1917. You created Israel in 1948 on the Palestinian lands, arming Israel, making Israel the most powerful country in the region. This is on your hands, you and your government. Look to yourself, let me, sir. Let Excuse me ask you me. again. Is this, is no, this, no, is this what you did question. on Saturday? Asking not basically a suicide mission. You're not going to get rid of the Israelis. They are here to stay, just like you're here to stay in this neighborhood. There has to be some kind of sharing of the turf. There has to be, at the end of the day, some degree of dialogue, perhaps a two-state solution. Right, that is the reality. You are Excuse me, we will not leave our lands. We will resist the occupation. Show us the seriousness of the international community. Implement the international resolutions. Let the Israelis push the Israelis hard to leave our occupied lands. This will be the reality which the Palestinians will see and will believe. Let me ask you finally, how does all this end? How does all this end? I think the, the real end will be make an end for the occupation concentrate on the main cause of the problem, the occupation. And what's your plan for the hostages that you're holding inside Gaza? Will you release them peacefully? There is prisoners of war, war prisoners. And there will be after the prisoners Israeli of war, they are, they are children, Gaza, they are old people, they are civilians. Okay, that, that, that is what the Israelis are saying. We didn't talk about even the numbers or the names. We want our prisoners in the Israeli jails back, and that would be a prisoner's exchange.
Can you guarantee the safety of the hostages that you're holding? Well, you know that we've kept Galaad Shalit for five years. He was safe. He wasn't injured. He was well treated. No one harmed him. Okay, but so again, can you give me a guarantee tonight on this program that you will treat those hostages safely, treat them well? Excuse me, you, we have experience in that. Everyone knows that. We always treat the people in a good way, and we know that they have rights as there are war prisoners. We will treat them well as we have done with Gilad Shalit. So what about the threat last night that you will kill a hostage every time a house what about in Gaza is families? bombed by the Israelis? What about killing the entire families in Gaza? Talk about the families who were killed in Gaza and then talk about the others. When you deal with this okay. enemy, with this monster, which is called Israel army, you have to tell them that they are doing the wrong things. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Osama Hamdan, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Thank you. Well, Israel's response to this weekend's attacks has been shaped fundamentally by the seizing of around 150 hostages, snatched from Israeli territory and now hidden throughout the warren of basements and tunnels beneath the Gaza Strip. Hostage-taking on this scale has shaken a nation which once traded more than a 1,000 Palestinian prisoners for a single Israeli soldier. I've been speaking to the American-Israeli family of Hirsch Goldberg, Poland, one of those who's been taken. Hirsch Goldberg Poland turned 23 last week and was looking forward to a year of travel after his medical studies. Hirsch is a fun-loving, witty, um, funny guy. Curious. Uh, I say, Sorry. I say, you, you, you talk, you mentioned Hirsch's name to people, his peers, our peers, young kids, anybody who knows him and puts a smile on their face. He had gone to the Nature Music Festival near the Gaza Strip, and on Saturday morning, his mother, Rachel, got a text. I think that I turned on my phone at 8.23, and I saw when I turned on my phone that there were two messages right in a row at 8.11 from Hirsch. One said, I love you, and the next said, I'm sorry. And so I immediately, to me, I knew immediately that something bad was happening and that he was apologizing because he knew that this was going to be very hard for us, whatever this was. And I had called him right away, and he didn't answer. I wrote, please let me know you're okay. He didn't answer. I said, I'm leaving my phone on. Let me know you're okay. And one more time, I said, you know, just let me know you're okay. But I've never heard from him again since he sent the text at 8.11. This was the last known picture of Hirsch taken at 9.05. He was lying in a roadside bomb shelter, badly injured, after being caught up in a mortar attack. What we have subsequently learned is that in the firefight and grenades before they were pulled out, our son's left arm was severed below the elbow. He's a medic, so he somehow, with one hand and maybe somebody helping him, was able to put a bandage on it. And Not we're a bandage, he tourniqueted his shirt. Yeah. We're, told, we were, we're told. told that he stayed pretty calm through the situation. He was situation. probably in shock. Yeah. And, um, that was and that he walked out, he didn't lose consciousness, and he walked out on his own, and that he got onto the truck. This was Saturday morning at 9 a.m. 
His telephone was last tracked by the Israeli police on the Gaza border at 12.45 p.m. We have no way to know, was he with the phone? Was it separated from him? Sure. But that's what we know. Um, beyond that, we don't know anything. We don't know what condition he's in now. We don't know where he is now. We don't know anything. We don't know if he even made it there. We don't know if any of them made it there. Maybe they, a mile out from yeah. the shelter, they just shot all five, all six of them. We don't know what he's going through, but it's a lot worse than what we're going through right now. But the more they bomb the Gaza Strip, the more your son's life is in peril, isn't it? Obviously, this is our top priority. Sure. There's nothing more important to us. But the nation is at war. For some reason, for me, I just get it. I just get it. An hour's drive away, Mirav and Itai Raviv show me pictures of their five relatives, also missing, presumed taken hostage, from their kibbutz near the border with Gaza. Auntie Ruthie and Uncle Abraham, cousin Karen and her nine-year-old son Ohad, and cousin Roe, a fanatical Liverpool fan. She texts uh, that uh, there are um, terrorists in the kibbutz, uh, but they lock the door and they are in the, in the shelter. But the problem is that the, the shelter is in the kibbutz. You can't lock it from the inside. So what happened, now we know, what happened is that the, the terrorists just opened the shelters and took out the, the people or burned the houses and then they took them or they killed them or whatever. So you don't actually know at the moment if your relatives are dead or no, alive? No. no. Till now, we're more than 72 hours uh, after the, the events started to, to unfold, no one has contacted us from the government. You're upset. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, So do you blame Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister, yeah. to some yes. extent for what to has happened? To a lot of extent. Of to course. a lot of extent. Why? There wasn't enough, there wasn't enough force in the Gaza area. I know that. Not enough people. IDF, not IDF. enough soldiers. Yeah, I know yeah. it from people inside IDF. So they, they were took dealing the with other stuff. In the West Bank. In the West exactly. Bank. Settlers. And Bibi Netanyahu exactly. has been the leader of this country yeah. for the past 14 years, bar one. And his government is full of people who the only, the only thing they can do is support him and not support the civilians. But I want to say with this statement that the civilians are strong and the IDF is strong and we're strong. But our government is, is incapable. He won't always wanted to be remembered as the protector of Israel. He is going to be remembered as the destroyer. Of Israel. He was That's uh, it. Mr. That's After it. we left Mirav and Itai, we heard the tragic news that their cousin Rui, the Liverpool fan, had been found dead in the kibbutz where he'd lived almost four days after the attack. Well, earlier I spoke to Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner of the Israeli Defense Force. I began by asking him for his response to criticism by Israelis, as you just heard, of the IDF's slow response time, in some cases up to 10 hours following Saturday's attacks. The attack is uh, the, mo the most uh, damning attack that Israel has endured. Uh, um, and it has been clear that there have been several failures in this um, uh, tragedy. I would actually say to the families that we are now trying to make sure that there are no more terrorists in Israel and taking the fight to Hamas so that they pay dearly for killing so many Israelis. You've now mobilized 300,000 reservists in this country. 
Um, that is a very large proportion of the population, and it is the biggest call-up of reservists, I think, in the history of Israel. What are you going to do with those reservists? Is there going to be a full-scale invasion of the Gaza Strip? What are we going to do with those forces? We're going to make sure that Hamas don't have the ability to do what they did on Saturday again to us. We will not accept a reality where uh, uh, over 900 people have been butchered in their homes. And we need to be prepared for other arenas as well. And will troops go in on the ground? Will there's 300,000 reservists and others actually go into the Gaza Strip? There's a distinct possibility. We need to be prepared for that. Our forces are rallying on the border and making the necessary preparations if that in, in instruction comes in. You are bombing apartment blocks and mosques, office buildings in the Gaza Strip. You're causing hundreds of casualties. According to the people we've spoken to in the hospitals, most of these uh, casualties are civilian casualties. Do you think that will really neutralize the threat from Hamas or will it just perpetuate the cycle of hatred? and retribution. I'll, I'll say this, Matt. What's perpetuating the cycle of hatred is when hundreds of terrorists infiltrate into Israel and butcher people, abduct people, they, uh, uh, women, children, elderly people. This is what's perpetuating the situation. Our responsibility is first and foremost to the people of Israel. Um, uh, our activities are specifically targeting Hamas and their infrastructure because they cannot be permitted ever again to conduct such an atrocity against our people. When a terrorist organization launches out of a strategy, a cross-border assault on the civilian population, we have the responsibility to take out that threat. That is very clear, it's very cut. There is no argument about that. And if you question our legitimacy to defend our people, then I'm, I'm sorry, you're on the wrong side of history. I'm not questioning your, your right to defend yourself, not for one minute. What I'm wondering is whether the way you're going about it, uh, with the, you know, the, the complete siege of Gaza and hundreds of civilians being killed, whether that ultimately will give you the result that you desire, which is to, to end Hamas's leadership in the Gaza Strip, or whether it might be counterproductive. That's my question. Are you suggesting that we send them roses and hope they don't do it again? This is ridiculous. This is a real, uh, this is a situation on the ground where they chose to engage, infiltrate, abduct and butcher people. These are the people mm. we need to be dealing with. The people of Gaza are not our enemies. Hamas is our enemy. Now, the reason why you quit the Gaza Strip all these years ago is because you couldn't control it. Um, surely that danger, that situation might arise again. So that, I don't want to speculate. I want to say that we don't, we've left Gaza because we did not want to be there. Uh, Hamas had the ability 18 years ago to rebuild the Gaza Strip, to make it flourish. But in instead of investing in uh, irrigation, they invested in, un in subterranean tunnels to attack Israel. Instead of amassing a, a, a huge economy that could benefit the people of the Strip, they decided to amass rockets and missiles. This is the unfortunate situation mm -hmm. that we're facing. And this is, un this is the unfortunate, I would say, reality that the people of Gaza are facing as well. Uh, they invested in the tools of death, not in the tools of life. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, ma'am. OK, well, let's go now to the United States, where in the last few minutes, President Biden has spoken to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Siobhan Kennedy, our correspondent, is there. Siobhan, what were they saying?
Well, Matt, actually, in the last few moments, we've heard from President Biden himself. He has described the attack. He spoke there in the White House. He described what happened this weekend as an act of sheer evil by Hamas. And he uh, stressed that there was no justification, he said, for terrorism. And Israel, he says, has the right to defend itself, a message that we have heard from him very much over the weekend. He said he gave an update on the numbers and said that 14 Americans, that's higher than we previously thought, had been killed in the attack. And he confirmed that U.S. citizens are among those being held hostage in Gaza. A very serious development that. Let's hear from the president now. We must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. There's no justification for terrorism. There's no excuse. Well, he was delayed speaking in the White House because he and his vice president, Kamala Harris, held a conversation, a phone call with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu this morning, where he reaffirmed his unequivocal support for Israel. We know that military support is already on the way, but the White House uh, stressing yesterday that there is no intention to put U.S. boots on the ground.